The presenting sponsor of EgoCheck with the IDM is RPG Research. You can find RPG Research at rpgresearch.com, and they are a 501c3 nonprofit research and human services charitable organization. Their staff of more than 50 volunteers across four continents are helping people heal and improving the quality of life for diverse populations around the world by providing accessible and inclusive collaborative research-supported programs using music and role-playing games such as Dungeons & Dragons. Most recently, RPG Research has used their forum to highlight some of the work that's being done in prisons and using role-playing games with prisoners. So definitely check that out. And you can find that again at rpgresearch.com. And that address again is rpgresearch.com. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Ego Check with the DM. I am your host, Michael Mallon, and joining me once again, he was one of my first guests on this podcast, Teos Abadia. Welcome to the show. Thanks so much. It's good to be here, Michael. So I'm excited to have you on. We've been going back and forth now for what feels like 17 months trying to schedule this. It hasn't, it hasn't been that long. Um, so I really appreciate your time. You are one of the designers on the new, very shiny Acquisitions Incorporated Dungeons & Dragons book. I'm really excited to talk with you about that. Congratulations. Thank you. It, it really does feel uh, amazing. I feel very blessed to, to have had this opportunity. So we first met, well, we first talked on the podcast back in 2016 in November 2016, so almost three years ago, which we were remarking before we started was, wow, time yeah. goes fast. Uh, we, you were filling me in about your role in organized play, uh, a lot of the writing and design work that you do. And now here we are two and a half, three years later, and things are just going in a bigger and better direction for you. Well, the clear message is everybody should be involved in uh, organized play because then you end up writing a source book. Well, there you go. There's no better. You, speaking of interns and you know working your way up the ladder, uh, yeah, it is work. Yeah, exactly. Perfect. So, I, I guess my first question is, how did you get pulled into this project, or uh, did you apply for such project? How did things happen? So, I have gotten projects by applying, but this was really the ninety-nine percent. It was luck. Um, And the reason I say that is that while I had done an Acquisitions Incorporated related project, the Adventure Cloud Giants Bargain, Mm -hmm. um, I had nothing going on with Acquisitions Incorporated beyond that. And nothing was really truly known to be planned beyond that. And I happened to be at PAX West. Uh, well, that's not the strange part. I've, I've been to PAX West a number of times, but I was at the PAX West convention, and by chance, four times at this convention, I ran into Jerry Holkin, who is the uh, co-owner of PAX and who um, is the brainchild, one of the big brainchilds behind Acquisitions Incorporated. And when I 
kind of ran into him the first time was just kind of, I introduced myself and I said, hey, I work on Cloud Jets Bargain. He said he loved it. And that was kind of great. And then he came to a DMs meeting. So I happened to be there and, and talked to him again. And he kind of said, you know, I would love to do more with AI. And I said, well, I'd love to be involved in that if by any chance it works out. And then I just ran into him two more times. And by the end of it, it was, okay, let's exchange contact information because this seems like a good idea. You know, um, run into and stalking are, you know, two sides of the same coin. It, it, <laughs> that would have been clever, <laughs> but, but I wasn't even doing that. That's great, though. Um, and uh, it was just really a wild coincidence. I mean, I've never seen him before or after at one of the PAX conventions, and I've been to many. So it was really just like, you know, four times at a con. Like, that's kind of crazy. And but as a result, we kept in touch and we kept talking. And it's it was about two years ago that that happened. But uh, and it probably took a year for the project to really get going. We had some phone calls, worked on some things, and then eventually it was like, okay, we're doing this. So for those who might not be familiar with Acquisitions Incorporated, how would you explain that? To people who maybe are fans of D&D and then see this book or see that name and they're like, what? I don't get it. Sure. So Acquisitions Incorporated uh, is one of the earliest D&D live plays that took place and has been going on since then. Um, and it is centered around a storyline that assumes that the, the player characters aren't just heroes but are working for basically a corporation that, a, that two of the members, really one of the members, runs. And that's called Acquisitions Incorporated. And their job is to acquire, which just goes great with the typical adventuring party that wants to go out and loot and get stuff. But in this case, it's a tongue-in-cheek play on the world around us, our, our real-life world, and how corporations have sort of this insatiable desire to acquire things and they uh, are not the kindest to their employees and they have bizarre policies and all kinds of things like that, right? And so that, that what that did is sort of formalize the type of humor that was at the table and make it a very special kind of humor about sort of getting an edge and having like an, not just someone who joins the team, but they're a sub intern, right? They're not even interns. So just a lot of this humor mm -hmm. around how uh, everybody behaved at the table and channeling that into the storyline of how they played. And the, their games were run first at the PAX West convention and then at other PAX conventions. And uh, their DM was Chris Perkins and uh, now is Jeremy Crawford. Uh, so really just some of the best DMs ever. And it's led to all kinds of offshoots. There are acquisitions incorporated board games. Um, uh, Jerry runs uh, the C team. So instead of A team or B team, he runs a show um, live stream uh, once a week called the C team. And Kate Welch is a member of it and many other fine, talented individuals. Um, so it's just become a really enormous presence for a lot of people. The first time I became aware of it was I was going through bookstores back in probably 2010, 2011, and saw all the fourth edition manuals, and I wasn't playing D&D at that point. And somehow or another, I was searching things online and found these podcasts, and I had started listening to other podcasts back then, um, like related to sports or pop culture or whatever. And I was like, oh, let me listen to this and and 
see what it's like. And it's hilarious. <laughs> like, like the humor that you're talking about just hit a nerve with me. It was sort of like watching The Office in D&D. And it had personalities that I was familiar with. Um, and I enjoyed kind of the combat and the way things were were happening in the game. And I was like, oh, you know, I should really start playing D&D again. And it got me back into the hobby. And one of the first articles I wrote for my blog was about the Acquisitions Incorporated podcast um, about combat speed. Because that was a, this <laughs> yeah. thing in fourth edition. So. I was like, well, let, how could I get data that people are familiar with? I know. I'll analyze the podcast. Um, and so that article got popular, and then things went from there, uh, kind of inspired me to write more. And as I got to know more and more people um, in the D&D hobby once again, I met so many that kind of made similar comments that listening to those podcasts like re-energized them about, about the hobby. So it's... I think they've done a lot of legwork to, you know, bring a lot of energy back. And at the same time, we were we were chatting before we recorded that there's also some folks who don't know what it means or or haven't been exposed to it, which is which is kind of interesting. It really is. Uh, I'd say that more than half of my friends barely understand what it is because they don't tend to consume live streams in any way. And they don't go to conventions where they see the events. And so they're just disconnected from it entirely. And they kind of apologize to me. Like, I know you're doing this book. It sounds really awesome. I don't know anything about the subject matter. <laughs> <laughs> and I like, there's a, it sounds like a, a sentence that's in the book. It's like, you do you. <laughs> yeah, it is, that's perfect. Well, and I think that it speaks to how big our hobby is becoming, right? That before we might, if we were talking about the subject matter, of any book, like if, if the big subject is the drow, right, we would kind of expect any well-informed, devoted gamer to probably know a fair bit about it, uh, about that subject. But this is how different our hobby has become, right? And especially since you and I first talked three years ago, mm -hmm. that there are just these entire genres and modes of enjoying D&D and RPGs in general that never existed before. And they're big and they have legions of fans. And so while half of my friends may not know what AI is, uh, I'm constantly in touch now with people for whom this means a whole lot. But on an emotional level, it means a lot to them. Yeah, and it does seem like that those sensibilities that Acquisitions Incorporated have, have built up as a brand, both in-world and out-world, of... That that humor, the some say tongue in cheek, uh, the comedy aspect of it, it's certainly baked into the book. And I wonder on the front end, as you were talking with Jerry and others about putting this book together, what it would be. How did that design come about? Um, yeah, from the very beginning, Jerry had a number of ideas um, that were really carried through from start to finish in, in making this book um, with the humor, one that's really important because I think from a distance, you can see this humor and go like, oh, I, you know, I don't know, kind of a corporate style humor. Like maybe that doesn't even sound funny to me in today's uh, climate change, destruction of the world scenario. Uh, and I can completely understand that when you're distanced from it. 
Uh, but again, what, what the humor is about is being a vehicle for bringing out really cool scenes in play. And that's what it does for them. And it's, it's what the book tries to do for anybody who's, who's playing with this. Uh, it gives you a reason to kind of rally together and have a certain type of humor um, or to focus your humor along certain lines. And but then what, what Jerry said that's very important is the humor is there to be really intense and fun. And then we're going to hit you with these really poignant moments. And that that's the heart of Acquisitions Incorporated Humor. It, it's it's all light and good. And then suddenly, whoa, here comes this real emotional moment for a character or it's part of an emotional part of the adventure. Um, and so that's that's a really important part when it comes to his sense of humor. Great. And so for people listening, I want to be I want to say this up front that w there is a, an adventure in the Acquisitions Incorporated book. It's six episodes. It takes up about 120, 130 pages of the book. We're going to talk about that closer to the end. So if you're concerned about spoilers or anything, uh, you can listen for quite some time. And then before we start talking about the adventure, we'll give you another spo spoiler warning if your DM is running you through the campaign or something like that. But in the beginning of the book, it is more of a setup of Acquisitions Incorporated and the whole concept of growing your franchise. And then that's followed by a variety of player options. Um, and so did that set up that layout for the book kind of naturally come together or did that take some time to get there? It did take some time uh, because we talked about, you know, we wanted to have actually Jerry's original idea was more along the lines of just an adventure. Okay. Um, so it's no surprise that so many, so much of the, of the book is an adventure because he wanted for people to be able to play in the world of uh, AI. Right. And, and I say Jerry a lot because Jerry's kind of, you know, he, he's sort of dad. Uh, he would laugh, but he, he's dad. But then Penny Arcade, which is the company that's behind PAX and Acquisitions Incorporated, uh, has many, many talented people involved. Um, Alyssa Grant, who's a producer, had a, a tremendously strong voice. Uh, Mike Rahulik. I mean, all, all the folks who work at Penny Arcade uh, were part of this. And, and for anything that I did, my co-writer, Sean Merwin, um, the editor, Scott Fitzgerald Gray, who editors just like a tiny bit of what he does. He, he's it's like working with someone who's better at you than I've you. I've heard rumors that he was the coolest person that <laughs> you worked with. Other than Jerry or Alyssa, yes. <laughs> Those rumors are accurate in, in that way, with just two small uh, footnote indicators. Um, but yeah, yeah, I mean, it's a whole team, right, that, that tries to put this really fascinating humor together. And so, okay, so going back to the question, we had to think of what, what's this book as we started thinking of it being a bigger book and, and how it could properly introduce the, the world of Acquisitions Incorporated, uh, we started throwing around some ideas. And one that I felt strongly about, because it was an idea I'd actually had for an organized play campaign, was what if you could really measure your progress um, because you're part of something bigger than just the team? Mm -hmm. And this worked perfectly in an Acquisitions Incorporated model where there's a lot of humor about the franchise. So if you think of like, a fast food company that kind of rents out these various locations. That's been some of the humor behind Acquisitions Incorporated and that the head office could farm out these things. So what if you, if we give you rules for how you can run that? And our goal from the very beginning was, okay, well, let's do that because that's awesome. 
uh, in an acquisitions incorporated context, but let's make it so that this can be used for anything. Like maybe you're playing a very normal D&D game, no acquisitions incorporated side at all, and you want to start a thieves guild. How could we do that? Or we want to join one of the big factions, like we want to be a, a group of harpers and we want to have a safe house or we want to be um, a tower devoted to the order of the gauntlet or anything like that, right? That you could come up with, you can right. use the rules and do that. And that was an area that I worked on very heavily. Yeah. So that is the chapter two, I believe, growing your franchise. <laughs> Yeah, and part of, and you know, we say growing because the idea is that if you look at the tiers of play of D&D, that as you get higher level, your franchise is going to level with you. Uh, it can go faster or slower based on you're doing a pretty awesome job, uh, but it, it's it's kind of going to grow with you. And it starts with uh, the idea that maybe your franchise is, you know, the back of this tavern or some old tower, or maybe it's a stagecoach that's kind of beat up and you're driving around in it. But as you level up, it becomes quite amazing and fantastic. So maybe your tavern has gateways to other taverns around Faerun, allowing you to make deals and go adventure in these other places. Or maybe it's a uh, caravan that has extra extra dimensional spaces, and now you can you know fly through the air. Or it's a walking statue, or it's a giant um, ship that has a huge balloon above it that allows it to fly through the air. Right? It really becomes a quite powerful. Uh, base of operations and can even be a mobile base of operations. And, and you're touching on one of the questions I, I had for you and something I was thinking about even before I, I bought the book is if if you are or are not familiar with Acquisitions Incorporated, like how can this book be used if, for example, you're one of those folks who is not familiar with with those ideas, not familiar with those streams, not right. familiar with those characters, how can this book be beneficial for that set of D&D fans and players? And the way I tried to do that was that I, I play tested that. So I'm running a uh, Tomb of Annihilation home campaign. And in it, you spend all this time in town and then you go into the Tomb of, of, of the Nine Gods and you spend all this time in a dungeon. But you've done all these things back in town. And so the way I, I created these rules and play tested them was in my home campaign, um, they had various interests they were doing in town. So what if back in Port Nanzaru, in this startup town where they began, mm -hmm. they could still move their interests forward? So they wanted to do different things with different com competitors, uh, like the Flaming Fist. They wanted to advance the um, goals of certain merchant princes. They wanted to uh, further a god. Uh, a number of things they were doing. So these, well, we created a set of downtime rules that you can use. Normally, downtime is used when you stop adventuring. So you leave the dungeon and maybe you go try to find a magic item. So we created a, a set of rules and downtime exercises that you can carry out while you're actually in your dungeon because you have a staff. So, you know, in a very normal world, you could say, okay, I want to start up a thieves guild. Uh, now I'm going to go, you know, to White Plume Mountain and adventure. But while I'm there, I want all my various thieves to carry out these different tasks. Like I want them to find dirt on a rival or spread misinformation on our enemy, um, you know, different activities like that. Yeah. And just, you know, some of the things in the book, uh, kind of starting on page 34, if, if you do have the book, um, 
yeah. talking about you know exploring territory complications, franchise restructuring, uh, headquarter modifications. There's all these different things that you can do. Uh, marketing, which I love. Um, <laughs> so there's there's that process gamified a little yeah. bit to provide some structure, and it reminds me. You know, I think one of the really enjoyable things about this book is that it does give some crunch to that downtime and it gives you something else to do with money, which yeah. has been just a throughout editions, just something that I, as a DM, my players have been a little, I wouldn't say bored. That's not the right word, um, but they just feel like their hands are tied because yeah. they go out, you know. You're going through dungeons, you're going wherever, you're exploring, you're adventuring, you're collecting uh, gold and gems and art objects and used weapons and maybe a magic item here and there. And you kind of accumulate all this after a few adventures, and you might have thousands of gold pieces and say, well, what do I do with this? Right. Because the way magic items are priced, it's not really realistic to buy many magic items that you would actually want. So you just end up having this bigger and bigger number on your character sheet that you can't do much with. And I remember in fourth edition when I was playing, uh, actually the host of all our games, I remember this very well. He's a, a warlock named Morgoth, which I enjoyed that name. Uh, but he set up a business. And this is back in 2010, 2011, where he was hiring people and he wanted this information brokerage network and a shipping boats and everything and he kept kind of pushing that pushing his character in that direction and i was trying to keep up but there wasn't a ton of structure for yeah. me to to do that with whereas now if a player had a similar set of ideas you could use these rules or you know adapt them as you see fit and it would uh, help the players with their with their franchise or operation or guild or whatever it is yeah. that they're trying to build yeah, and it really goes back to, and, and I looked at these rules just to find that there really weren't any, but, um, uh, you know, in, in Advanced Dungeons & Dragons and in some of the basic sets, there are these rules for, okay, you reach a certain level, you know, you get a temple as a cleric, or you get a you know, tower full of uh, uh, warriors if you're a fighter, and, you know, and so on, and, and um, it, it kind of ties into that as well, right, that you can want to leave your footprint on the land in some way. Uh, but it, this gives you a lot of flexibility for it, and it gives you an idea, different ideas for how to run it. So, for example, in our home campaign, mm -hmm. uh, we did a little bit of engaging with pirates as part of the Tomb of Annihilation story, and they ended up taking a ship over, and then they decided to hire a pirate crew to pilot it uh, and engage in quote-unquote trade. <laughs> so what I would do is I would use an early form of these um, rules where I would say, okay, so while, you know, you guys are on level four of the tomb, uh, but meanwhile, back, you know, on the open water, your crew uh, meets uh, an Omnite ship. Let's see how it plays out. And then we you do some skill rolls where they kind of apply the teachings of the player characters that have taught them all about how to, you know, be clever about seeing what a ship's weaknesses are and how to defeat enemies and stuff. And so we make some rolls back and forth to see how did it go for the uh, story and play, which is their pirates meeting this other ship. 
Uh, and so maybe it ends up going quite horribly and they limp away or maybe they got a whole bunch of treasure off of the ship and they're, you know, celebrate. But at the end of it is a financial piece, right, where, OK, you engaged in piracy uh, during this month of play. And at the end of it, you're either worse off or well off. Right. You, you mm-hmm. maybe you scored money or not. Uh, but that goes back to one of the things that Jerry Horkin said for the project. And he goes, I, I want to make gold matter again. Right. Right. Yeah, and like I said, it just feels like after a while, gold doesn't matter. So it's yep. it's kind of, it's cool to have these options to do something else with with that gold, you know, yep. hiring yep. hiring staff or or having sub subcontractors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Not really be paid, but they're still doing stuff for you. Yeah, yeah and, and and you know when you start tinkering with the rules, you kind of see like okay. Um, there's money that I have to put in at the beginning in terms of what kind of structure I want to have. It has some costs. And then there's money that I'm paying uh, each month of operation, um, though I have a lot of help from the home organization, whatever the main organization is. Um, you know, you have some stake it in, so you want to see it do well. Yeah, and it just reminds me of, I mean, some of the things you do with, with improv during an adventure or in town during um... – you know, a, a role-playing scene that some of the things that my players have gotten attached to the most are these little side moments that no one expected that I certainly didn't plan for. And then it becomes a bigger thing and it gains its own momentum. And I imagine the same type of thing could happen with your business. Yes. Where you hire, you have a staff member that you don't really think about, but then some cool interaction happens. And then all of a sudden, like that's a major person that you care about and you're invested in. Have you Oops. seen that in the playtest? Yes, absolutely. And um, a lot of the rules. So uh, the Xanathar's book has Xanathar's guide to everything has a, a, a you know, it takes a step forward from the dungeon master's guide on downtime. And then we've tried to do that again. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that's added in Xanathar's is the idea of complications. So, you know, you might say, Hey, I'm just going to send, uh, one of my employees and it, the rules invite you to create personalities and backgrounds, right? Like maybe they're all, they're all, you know, gnomish sisters, right? And maybe they, uh, look like, like, um, nuns. I don't know, you know? And yeah, you're like, I like that I, section of the book where kind of the, the suggestion was if you have a group of people that you've hired, kind of give them all similar characteristics as you would roll for one NPC. Yeah. And so maybe that was a useful tip. Yeah. You know, I could send one of my sisters out to go play cards because that's what nuns do uh, to win over some money. But as a complication, uh, it might be that she actually starts becoming a double agent. Or maybe it's the other way around. She gets invited to be a double agent, but she's not. So she's, you know, a double double agent. And uh, I think it quadruples. I don't know. Uh, and so she becomes, you know, now a spy for the spies and she's working for this faction. And now she gets she becomes more interesting. Right. Just like you're saying. And similarly, not to spoil the adventure, but in the adventure, uh, there are a number of places where we say to the dungeon master, hey, there's an opportunity for this NPC to become more right uh, in, in play. And so, so we're, we're definitely trying to shoot for that kind of feeling. Yeah, and I, I think it's a good skill to develop, both both from the player side and, and from the DM side, of being willing to let those moments happen, even if you're not expecting them. Uh, like in the one campaign I was going through, just um, 
the Sunless Citadel. So I was playing in there, and the characters had asked the goblins that they had kind of defeated, but they had a parlay with. And one character, almost a throwaway comment of like, hey, does anyone want to go downstairs and try to uh, get to the, uh, what's the shrine called down there? Yeah. I'm drawing a blank. Um, but anyway, I originally I was just going to ignore the question and be like, oh, no, they're too tired. And I, and I finally just said, oh, there's one goblin who seems really eager. And then he became this character, Garl, that... <laughs> the group love because he's this little goblin. He is like a level one goblin. I was like, okay, here's the stats. And they were rolling for him and he critted somebody once he got knocked out. They saved him. It just became this thing that we didn't plan on. And it's wonderful to have those opportunities outside of yeah. the typical three pillars that we're used to, like, you know, role playing exploration and, and combat, it sort of is adding a fourth pillar, which yeah. I like. Yeah, it's the fourth dimension. And you know, it's funny that you say that because there is, in Acquisitions Incorporated lore, there is a goblin that, in, a, in this same situation, uh, they ended up deciding to basically cause the goblin's death. And the goblin was brought back by a foe. And so this goblin has a vendetta against Acquisitions Incorporated, as do several organizations, right, that have been wronged by Acquisitions Incorporated and they want revenge. And so we certainly were thinking of that kind of mechanic, right, that maybe somebody becomes an ally or maybe they become a hated foe. And we want to make sure that that kind of play can happen where we, we give a way that a DM can go, you know what, this NPC is going to be recurring and here's how, right? Or this this is gonna this is this thing that they did, right? They they lit a barn on fire. This is gonna come back to bite them. And I know how to do that, right? And that's that's what these rules try to create a little more of that possibility of that fourth dimension you're talking about. And it, it does create a structure for I think the word that comes to mind is consequences. So mm -hmm. yeah. if you're you're this adventuring party and you're traipsing around the the realms, you know, doing you know any number of activities. You would build up a reputation one way or the other, and <laughs> usually that's you know played into a little bit as like, oh, we've then heroes are here. Let's you know let's hire them for help. But um, I guess linking that to more consequences and branding. Yeah, I mean having a base of operations that people know where to find and. Yeah. If, if you decide to break bad, so to speak, that's going to have consequences when you try to return home. Yeah. And, and what that does to players' decisions, I think, is, is kind of fascinating. Branding's perfect because branding, you know, we think of it in a very real-world corporate sense. and uh, But it can really be, you know, what's the branding of if you're, you know, if the organization is a temple and we're not running an acquisitions incorporated, well, what's the dogma, Right. Mm -hmm. Or if we're a thieves guild, what are we known for, right? Are we like the mob? Are we uh, like a spy organization, right? What's our motto? What's our MO? Those kinds of situations really, uh, they lend themselves to, to this book, right? And this book tries to further those. Yeah, and there's some, uh, I always love tables. So there's some tables if you need help with coming up with that, like a motto or sort of what is the creed, so to speak. There's different yeah. tables to get your organization up and running, uh, which I think is cool. But it could almost, I've talked with some other guests about a 
a session zero of, of planning out, okay, how do these characters know each other? What type of game do we want to play? And it seems like this type of content would fit really well into that session zero of, okay, what's our organization? <laughs> what's the purpose of our organization? Yeah. It seems like that would flow right in. And you also have the, there are rules for positions, um, which are kind of a new character feature. Yeah, so that's also in chapter two. I wanted to talk talk about that. So how did those come about? Um, So Jerry Holkins had actually created positions and given them to the characters on the C team. So he had assigned them these roles. And so one of them is the documenter. And the documenter is the person who's communicating back with the home office or organization head that's a non-player character side. And they have a kind of magic satchel where they can communicate. It's almost like a magic fax machine of receiving missions, sending information out. Reminds Uh, me of the sending spell that my bard just took in one campaign. (laughs) Nice. Yeah. So, and then there's a hordes person, which is like, you know, there's always that person who says, fine, I'll, I'll keep track of the gold, right? I'll keep track of the treasure. And so now they have a magic, almost mimic like bag of holding that consumes and holds things and sends the automatic tithe off to the home office. Uh, but it provides some other benefits. So he had come up with these rules and they're, they're wacky. If you watch the C team, I mean, it's so cool, right? But it's clearly like one DM's super creative take on how everybody could have a job in addition to their character class. Mm-hmm. And so he described all these and then we sat and got, all right, you know, what could we do? And, and, and I tried to standardize it and give it, you know, cause all of it, we wanted to have, to feel like D and D and in two ways. One is that everything is balanced within the world of Dungeons and Dragons. So it feels proper. It's not out of sync with the rest of D and D, but also that it uses the language of Dungeons and Dragons. It feels like it should, uh, reads like it should while being wildly creative. And that was hard. I mean, I spent a really long time with uh, an Excel spreadsheet of, okay, what does each position, uh, what is each position about? taking Jerry's notes and Penny Arcade's notes. Um, what is the magic item that you get? What kind of benefits does that give you at which tiers? And so it was a really fun process to come up with those. But the end of it is that you get, um, you know, each of each character is going to have a role, which grounds you in that organization. Uh, and then you're going to have some special abilities to kind of show off. And what's neat about it is that they're, sort of end up being iconic for the position. Like if you're kind of the business card person that's, you know, the salesperson going off and and making introductions with other groups, competing rivals, things like that, winning customers over, um, you're going to have that role and everybody's going to know it, which then is going to make it even more awesome when you meet an NPC that has your role. So to do that, we have a part in the back of the book where there is like a sort of like a 4E monster power that you can give to different creatures, NPCs, monsters, whatever, so that they are a hordes person or a cartographer or a documenter. And the party can recognize that. Like, oh my God, I'm dealing with, you know, a beholder who is a, you know, hordes person for their organization. Yeah. And I was looking through that and the art that goes along with all this, the layout, it's all, it's all really well done. And to, you were talking about as the, as your company position, you you gain levels or I guess ranks in that as your franchise increases. Yeah. 
Um, so that's at, I think it's it's at fifth is the first time you increase. Yeah, I'd have to see. It, it, it's it, Yeah, one through four, five through 10, 11 through 16, and 17 to 20. So there's yeah. four franchise ranks. And at each rank, you're, you get some new abilities based on your position. Yeah. And it's all spelled out here in the book. It's all it's all very clean. Um, and I agree with you. I don't think anything is necessarily game breaking. No. Nope. Uh, but it gives you some stuff to show off, and also, you know, if you, the DM can set up situations where, much like if you know what type of characters are in your campaign, you can tailor some encounters or some obstacles to give someone a chance to shine. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, and and it's nice because it's they're not um, they tend to be utility kind of utility things like um, you know you can you can use your magic item to function as a wand of enemy detection right something like that so you have this ability because you're tied in in this particular way to the organization to do to kind of pull out a neat feature and it's the kind of thing that you know it, I, the way I thought of them is cool things you'd like to do but if you were given a choice of a whole bunch of magic items you'd probably be choosing something that's about attacking or whatever, but boy, you wish you could also make that other choice. And this is that other choice you wish you also had. <laughs> yeah, like the cartographer has some cool wrinkles of, yeah. you know, being able to get get places quickly or have, have the right map or have fragments of a map that can be useful. I think stuff that adds to the story, um, kind of the exploration phase of the game, but it's not a it's not necessarily a shortcut or skipping content. It's just exactly. adding adding more nuance, flavor to it. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, so you know the documents are um, not only does their uh, rank three uh, documents or bag become a bag of holding, but they can pull out a spell scroll of comprehend languages, which could come in mighty handy at some point. Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's it's essentially right. Like the idea is, I need to get this translated. Right. <laughs> that's, that's the idea. And there's some other um, positions, like in the next chapter, some player options, um, different kinds of backgrounds, different options for um, different classes of characters. Yeah. And, and the goal there is really to give more ways that people can be tied into this kind of a world and in, in this kind of a campaign. And there's some hilarious stuff in there. Yeah, some of the otherworldly quirks are funny. <laughs> like the warlock. Every meal you eat must involve copious amounts of raw onions. <laughs> <laughs> there's just stuff like that that I just, you know, enjoy throughout throughout the book. Um, I just wanted to take a quick break to talk about a product that I'm very excited about and I hope you all check out. Are the dice trays available by Woodcraft by us? This is a company that is run by one of my fellow players in my Dungeons and Dragons games, and he and his father are creating handcrafted, uh, beautiful wooden dice trays. I've been able to uh, get in on the ground floor with these. I've uh, helped Kevin, the gentleman who is making these. Uh, play test them, so to speak. Uh, we've been playing around with them during our games over the last few months, and he has kind of perfected his design along with his father. And the trays use exotic hardwoods 
uh, like Purple Heart and Black Walnut and are made with a top channel that is a great place to set dice that are not in play. I've been tweeting out some photos of these dice trays in action over the last few months during our gaming sessions, and people have been pretty excited about them, and now they are available for purchase. The bottom of the dice tray has a layer of cork to minimize dice bounce and can be topped with the felt color of your choice. Uh, that can all be customized on their website at woodcraftbyus.com. Once again, that's woodcraftbyus.com. Roll better, crit more, and visit woodcraftbyus.com. Now back to my interview with Teos and more Acquisitions Incorporated. And then it it does go into Chapter 4, which I think we're at a, at a good time to start talking about the adventure. Um, so Acquisitions Incorporated on uh, Chapter 4, starting, I think, at page 80, if I my note 79, my notes are correct. Um, so tell me about this this adventure. So we wanted an adventure that um, did two things for a DM. One is showcased how to create an Acquisitions Incorporated world, which isn't very different from a D&D world, but it gave them that, okay, you know, I know now that I've seen this adventure, I can make any Acquisitions Incorporated adventure. Like, I get it. I know I've seen an example, right? So that was job one. Uh, job two was to use the rules in the book and show you how to use them. So we told you about franchises. And so the adventure really puts that into play. At the end of, there, there are six chapters to the adventure. And at the end of each chapter, your franchise is advancing. And so you, the DM, have things to do with your players. You say, okay, you know, head office uh, affords you these new opportunities. Um, what are you going to do? Or, you know, hey, it kind of ended with you discovering this information. You need to get more clues about this competing organization. What are you going to do? Well, maybe you're going to go play cards with them, or maybe you're going to spread a misinformation campaign to get them to come out of the woodwork, or, you know, but now you're going to use these actual rules to uncover things. So you need to know how to do a magic ritual. So you're going to discover that. And this can all happen with the downtime rules. And so the adventure is called the, the Orrery of the Wanderer. Yeah, and an Orrery is, you know, we want it to be uh, as uh, with a nod to, to classic D&D, where you use a word that people have to look up. Um, so we shouldn't tell anybody what it is. You got to look it up. But, uh, but the Ori is the, the, uh, the, what you are trying to find and recover and put together, um, which gave us a lot of flexibility for telling this tale. And the adventure, again, I think we'll, we'll get into to some spoilers here. So if, if you want to play the adventure, um, might be a good time to, to sign off, sadly. Um, yeah, even, even if cheating is totally in the Acquisitions Incorporated handbook, uh, you shouldn't. It's it's not frowned upon. I would say. <laughs> no. So, the the adventure does does present what I had kind of deemed this almost greatest hits of things that we've seen in, in fifth edition, um, <laughs> and maybe even some locations before that of um, locations, different characters, certainly personalities from Acquisitions Incorporated are featured quite prominently. I wonder what were you were talking about different um, kind of design philosophies that Jerry was giving you in terms of marching orders. What was one or two about the adventure? And this is one where we worked a lot. Um, Sean Merwin, Scott Fitzgerald Gray, and Alyssa Grant and I 
on very heavily on the kind of the pieces of the adventure and the different ideas. Um, and at first we thought, you know, well, hey, maybe it's going to be like heavily in Neverwinter. And she's like, well, we actually are going to be releasing something uh, for the Neverwinter MMO. So that's not, you know, we've kind of already have something there. Like, okay. And we thought, well, you know, there have been so many like classic places that Acquisitions Incorporated has gone to um, that maybe, you know, like the C team operates out of Red Large. Um, and they've visited these various places around the realms. You know, maybe we want to kind of do exactly as you said, a greatest hits tour uh, of, of places. And we don't want to repeat what they did, right? This is not like the Dragonlance series adventures where you try to do exactly what happened in the novel. It's more like let's have that kind of uh, a, a tip of the hat where if you don't know the joke, you didn't see the episode, that's totally fine. If you did, then you've got a little more smile going on as you play through this, though you're having your own separate adventure. Yeah, and so, I mean, it's one of the places that it touches on is Phandalin. Yeah. Which, you know, that is going back to, was that the first box set that came out? Yeah, that's from the, the starter set. The first so, starter set. So that's like 2014? Yeah, something, yeah, what, five years ago, right? Something like that, yeah. Yeah. And so I, I was, you know, going through the adventure, reading through it, and I was like, hey, I've seen this map. <laughs> <laughs> This map looks incredibly familiar, and but it's, I wouldn't even say reskinned. It's just like things have happened since then. Yeah, yeah, time has changed, right? And 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 so it gets to, yeah, you, you get to come into this slightly different uh, place and and see what you what you think about it, right? How do you feel about the changes that are taking place here and what you could do with it now that you're here? And it's it's also interesting that you're. You know, the adventurers, as they, they come into the adventure, get some information and start rubbing shoulders with different members of the, the AI team. Yeah. And, and I wonder if that was a little bit of a back and forth about how much do you rely on that or is, does it become too much in in the overall adventure? Yeah, I mean, we um, all of us on the project, uh, certainly Sean and Scott and I have always felt that it's always about player characters. Everything should be about them and it should be cool and awesome. And even if it's a setback, it should be cool and awesome setback. And you don't want to be sitting there watching other people that are better than you. So we, we knew we did not want to do that. Uh, anybody we introduced, uh, we wanted to be kind of in, out, gone, uh, cool moment and we're on and you're better for it. You would enjoy this experience. So while you do get the opportunity to meet a lot of people or interact with things, um, it, it is always in this adventure about the player characters and their experiences. That was very important. But we wanted to have those callbacks. So if folks, for example, watch the C team, they know that there's a particular tavern that people go into in an experience called the test market. Um, and I mean, that just seemed like an awesome opportunity for people to experience this. You know, what if you walk into the tavern and it, things aren't what they seem and it's some sort of weird test gone wrong? Maybe somebody's been manipulating this test and maybe, maybe things happen like you are reduced to miniature size and there's a giant cat coming after you or, um, you know, there are, you get to go to the, the bedrooms of the C team, right? And see what funny things are hanging on their walls. Um, the things that, whether you know them really well or not, it's it's amusing to to come. In. It's almost like going into the room of a uh, famous musician, right? And what's on, what what hangs on their walls? 
Like, is it a calendar of just the lead singer where every single month is the lead singer? <laughs> yes. Yes, it is. <laughs> yes, it is. Right. Uh, so, so a lot of opportunities like that that we tried to do. And in, in one case, we ended up going back to a place that uh, Acquisitions Incorporated had been in uh, to almost do the same thing. You got to go back in to, to this dwarven stronghold and steal something. But they know Acquisitions Incorporated. They, they're quite angry at what happened. And you're given a very different way that you can achieve your goal and, and hopefully create some very hilarious outcomes because you you end up having to switch bodies with a Okay, so party. I wasn't sure if you were going to bring that up. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> How did that come about? Because reading through that, I was just... I'm just trying to imagine that playing out at various yeah. tables and with certain players that I play with, I could, it's probably not safe for the podcast. Like some <laughs> of the comments that would, that would come out. Yeah. Um, so was that something that was originally in there that that developed from some type of brainstorming sleep deprived session? What, what happened there? Uh, it was probably me at 3 a.m. So originally, I had we, we sketched everything. The adventure was sketched out. Uh, the three, sometimes four or five of us would work on just the overall outline. You know, okay, in this chapter, you'll go to, you know, Red Large. Or in this chapter, you know, we're going to go up to the far north in Luskin or something like that. And, and, and the basics of what the experience will be like. You'll be dealing with this kind of a uh, situation. Um, so just bullet points. And so there was going to be, you know, going into this Dwarven stronghold and recovering this piece of the orrery. And I had a number of things of how you're going to do this. Um, and as I worked on it, I thought, well, you know, it'd be really cool if they, if there was something else going on that brought in hijinks. What if there's a wedding party going on? That would be really funny. And the more as I started to write about them interacting with this wedding party, I thought, what if they become the wedding party? <laughs> like what would be more absurd than you have to go through this as your ploy. Right. And so, uh, a famous NPC, uh, this, this wizard flabbergast who, if the name makes you think of someone with an upturned nose, that's perfect. And he has a little cat, uh, that has a, uh, Viking helmet. I mean, it's just as ridiculous as you get. And this guy shows up and says, you know, I've got a magic ritual that you can swap bodies into this, this, the next group that comes along. And you can that way perfectly infiltrate without any of these dwarves having to be aware that you're from Acquisitions Incorporated. Uh, so that gives you the most obvious way, though there are rules for if the party wants to do it a different way, there are, there are other ways to make it work. But this is clearly the, the highlight experience where you get to swap bodies with this wedding party. And of course, it's not just simple, right? Yeah, you, one of you is going to swap into a body and maybe learn that there's a kind of second agenda you just got because of who you swap bodies with. And so it's very interesting. <laughs> very so that, so that seems amazing, that that little bit of business that's ha that happens there. And what was it like? Because I believe you had a uh, – I think it sounds like there was a lot of collaboration on this project, um, but that you took on more of like the episodes four, five, and six. So kind of wrapping everything up, concluding this adventure. <laughs> I like to think about it, the original trilogy episodes. Uh, <laughs> yeah. four, four, five, and six. I mean, I chose the good ones, right? <laughs> no. There you go. Yeah, it was, it was kind of random how we split them up. Uh, but um, yeah, so I did, I did the second half. And I mean, there are just endless highlights. We talked about one of them. Another is a casino run by a lich. 
And I think the setup for how you go to the, you know, you know, you're going to go fight some really evil force or that's how you feel you're going at it. And then as you're going down this dark tunnel, you probably trigger some traps, which cause these giant Vegas signs to light up, telling you that you're almost there and that, you know, the loosest slots in Faerun and other appropriated ridiculousness. Uh, And then you realize, wow, this is actually not just uh, a a lich, but it's a lich convention or a lich (laughs) conference that's taking place at this casino. And so it's probably not, I mean, you're going to have some fun battles, but then the the end is going to really be more of a negotiation with the the person who who runs this lich-run casino. (laughs) Um, LichCon needs to happen. I don't know where. Maybe Vegas. That just should be there. There you go. There you go. Uh, there are some recurring foes that um, Acquisitions Incorporated, the C team, have, have met that uh, show up in a giant battle over the skies and uh, with a battle balloon and whatever mobile franchise you're in or if you borrow a battle balloon. Um, there's the opportunity to go to Red Larch and into the tavern that's used by the C team where this, um, they, you know, there's a fun fan theory that says that maybe the entirety of, of the C team, uh, is really just them inside this like endless loop of a test run inside this tavern. The, the, <laughs> when you walk in, if you carry a certain thing, you don't just go to a normal tavern, you go into this like parallel dimension tavern and it becomes a test for you to prove yourself and what if they've always been in this test and they've never left right so that's one of the fun fan theories but you get to go into the test version and you have to go through a couple of tests before you can find your way to the final you know of course like any good adventure it's got to end in a big ritual site that you've got to you know take on the big foe in and save the world and that's got its own surprises too because um uh some of the good guys become bad guys, and that gives you an opportunity to measure yourself against some of the more famous people there. Very cool. How long were you working on this? Uh, forever. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the project was, you know, like really for two hour, two years, we were talking about it and working on it, you know, easily a year. Uh, you know, it was fits, fits and starts. And, and But, I mean, there were just – there were some periods of time that were really intense – uh, for me personally, it was probably the busiest I've been career-wise. And I would do things like fly to Japan and write, you know, 10,000 words while I was there and on the plane. Um, it was pretty crazy. I mean, I devoted a, a good chunk of my uh, energy and my family was super nice to put up with how hard I was working on this. Uh, but they're excited. You know, my, my, all of my daughter, my son, uh, my wife, they all, you know, are really excited. My parents, I, I gave them a copy of the book and mom asked me to sign it. You know, Sweet. it's nice. really cool. Right. So, so it's all worth it in the end, but, uh, oh, blood, sweat, and tears. It was, it was all poured into this book. Oh, I mean, <laughs> super congratulations to you. Thank you. One of the questions I wanted to get to before we leave, I had, I had asked people on social media if they had, if they had questions for you. One of them that came up was, uh, from Mr. Long 78. So uh, <laughs> thanks for the question. What was cut from the book? So oh, yeah. either, either in the kind of build up about the franchises or maybe the adventure, what, what was something yeah. that looking back, you think, oh man, I wish we could have found a way to, to shoehorn that in. Well, so there, there are a couple of things. Um, it, you know, the fun part was, so this began as a penny acquisitions or penny arcade, um, 
project. And the idea was, okay, we're writing for this Penny Arcade audience. I mean, they love it. AI is their thing. They have such a, that's their sense of humor. We'll write to that. Uh, and then it became a Wizards of the Coast project. And at that point, we're like, oh man, well, I hope they like what we wrote because we, you know, we didn't write for Wizards of the Coast. We wrote in the D&D language and you know, we were good about that. We followed all of, as if it were a book, but, but we put some things in that we would not have done had we say thought Jeremy Crawford was going to look at it. Or there's an it. element, there's a humor and comedy that, that my thought is, if you've ever read the disclaimers yeah. in each book, yeah, there, that's the only place where I think the, like the player's handbook, the, the yeah. AMG, the Monster Manual, those disclaimers in the very front have some humor in them. Well, so, so this but is that, an example. But it doesn't bleed over into the books, but this book has it all over the place. Yeah, it's like the disclaimers the entire book, right? And, right. <laughs> and there were, I mean, even like the positions, I was like, well, do they like the idea? You know, is Wizards going to look at these positions and say, whoa, whoa, you're going to give new powers to every single class? Like, what? You know? But no, so it was amazing that the majority of it went through in Skate. But one thing that did not <laughs> was in, in, in the adventure in episode one, Sean Merwin had written this part that, I mean, when I read it, if I had had liquid in my mouth, I would have destroyed my monitor and keyboard because I laughed out loud so hard. I had to go downstairs and tell my kids about it. Uh, he had this, there's, a, there's this gnome NPC you meet in Waterdeep who uh, he collects rainwater. In, in this version, the, the, the sanitized version, he collects rainwater in red clay pots. And that gives it like a red color. And he passes these off as potions of healing. Oh, no. The original version was that he would go to like the equivalent of a, you know, well, he'd go to a druid. And this druid would cast Goodberry every day to like try to, you know, help some of the poor members of Waterdeep. And so he would drink this, he would eat this Goodberry, which gives you a day's sustenance. And he realized that his pee kind of gave off a little bit of magic. You know, just low magic if you detect for it. So he's putting that into these potions of fake potions of healing. <laughs> wow. So that got changed. Yeah, but I mean, the I way I that. thought the way it was written was perfect. Uh, it made me laugh very hard, but I can also certainly see why it was uh, cut. Um, there's another example like that, that uh, maybe it, it's a little too personal. So maybe I'll reveal that we're going to do um, uh, Sean and I, and at least one other person, we're going to give a, a talk on writing for other companies when, when the license, you know, the property is owned by someone else and how do you represent someone's world? Uh, so we're going to be doing a seminar at PAX West uh, on Friday at PAX West. And okay. there's another story I'm going to save for that. Uh, but the last thing I'll say is that we actually had a good number of uh, character subclass mechanics. Uh, but Wizards, um, and they were great, but Wizards was like, you know, we kind of have a lot of that going on. And so we're not looking for a book to have that right okay. now. Um, so then that got pulled. And, you know, maybe it'll see a, a light in another fashion, but, uh, but it's something that, you know, there is out there. And so maybe it'll show up. And... What is next for you? <laughs> so I've been working on with Dwarven Forge. Uh, they're a company that makes some amazing 3D terrain. Oh, so yeah, very familiar. It. Yeah, so Dwarven Forge, uh, we wrote the Dwarven Forge Dungeon of Doom. 
And it's a free adventure you can get on their website, dwarvenforge.com. And if you Google it, Dungeon of Doom, you'll find it. And this is a massive, I mean, massive book. Like, there's kind of nothing that Dwarven Forge doesn't do to like the nth amazing degree. Mm-hmm. Um, so we that ended up being really a huge uh, adventure. It's 200 some odd pages. So I was doing that actually at the same time as this book. I don't know how I survived that, or not at the same time, the same year, the same year. Okay. Um, so I ended up doing, you know, something like 150,000 words that year. Um, last year and we're now working on the next one so dungeon of doom is out and supports that kickstarter they did for that terrain uh and then they did caverns deep which is this really cool uh domain of a hag and so i'm just finished with that project um and we're just doing the last touches on it but that is this really cool cavern complex with a really neat story and so that's going to be released um and then after that, I don't have anything else planned. I may actually try to take a bit of a break and slowly work on something of my own. We'll see. I was going to say, you might sleep, maybe. I might sleep, yeah. I have been trying to make sleep a better priority. All the studies coming out say it's a really bad idea to do what I did last year. So I'm going to try to change that. Yes, insomnia is a is a difficult beast to slay, but it is possible. You know, it's not insomnia. It's, I actually sleep like a baby. Um, fortunately, I'm very lucky in that respect, and and it looks like I can very quickly achieve good sleep. So that's probably my saving grace. But it's more that uh, I have a family, I have kids, I have a real job, uh, and so by the time I'm done with those things, it's usually around the time that my family's going to bed, and that's when I start writing. And so I end up sacrificing sleep in order to write, uh, which is not a healthy thing to do. I don't recommend it, but it's, it's kind of what I've had to do to produce this, this much volume of, of words. So I'm trying to change that and, you know, do more in the waking hours. Well, how can people, uh, support your work, uh, say, th- say thanks for all you're doing, or if they have questions, how can they, what's the best way for them to reach you? Thank you. Uh, I can be found on Twitter at AlphaStream. My website is alphastream.org, and from there you can get to my DM Skilled uh, uh, products that are out there. I have a number of things that are available. They're currently on sale through the end of July. Um, and, yeah, those are the best ways to find me and support my work. Excellent. Tyos, thank you so much for, for making the time. I'm glad we were able to work this out. Yeah. Uh, for you to come back on, and uh, if there's any... If there's ever anything you want to talk about again in the future, let me know. I'd be happy to sit down and chat once more. It's a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me on. Yeah, thank you, and congrats again on the book. 